0: So we've been looking at chapter 1 where it talks about the trials that we have in our life. It also talks about the sin and how sin can fester if we allow it to do so. And then chapter 2 talks about faith and how our faith must be an active faith. We can say I'm a Christian and we can say I believe in God and we can say all those types of things, but we have to put that into action We must be willing to show that to the lost and dying world. And so uh, James even gives us a couple examples there in chapter 2 of Abraham and also of Rahab and the faith that they had uh, in God, even though they were in the Old Testament. And so chapter 3, believe it or not, deals with something that we all have. We all have this problem, and that is our tongue. We oftentimes get in trouble with our mouth, don't we? I told you this several weeks ago, but I like to say, I don't like it. I say dumb things sometimes. And more likely, you do too, if you want to be honest. But I had to look up some information about the tongue. The typical tongue is only about three inches long. It has eight different muscles that is in the tongue. And yes, you can talk if you did not have a tongue. There's a couple examples on the internet, so it's got to be true, of people that were born without a tongue, and they were still able to somehow come up with a way to speak. There's all kinds of taste buds on our tongue, of course, and our tongue is kind of like our fingerprints. It has a unique print on our tongue that is only identified to us. And so our tongue is a pretty important a piece of our body, even though it's only like three inches, <coughs> every year we buy a um, a half of a beef and we split it with my mom. And so Douglas, believe it or not, likes to eat, here we go, beef tongue. And so we get the tongue and that sucker's long. Did you ever see a beef tongue in a package? I Man, that thing is like that long, and it's about that wide. But he says that's the best tacos you'll ever have, is beef tongue tacos. I'll take his word for it. But our tongue is pretty small. It's only about three inches long, maybe a couple of inches wide. But man, that thing sure can get us in some trouble, can't it? It does. And so we're going to talk about our tongue today and how we need to be careful what we say. Uh, We even try to teach our kids that in public school. Think before you speak. And again, they got four questions splashing all over the walls. Is it going to be hurtful? Is it going to benefit somebody? And there are other questions that they can ask that determines whether or not I should say what I'm about to say. And so James chapter 3, can I turn the air down a little bit? I see a lot of this going on about there. And I've been wanting to do that for a long time, but I'm going to turn it down one notch. I got in trouble last week it was too cold so I had it up a little bit. So chapter three talks about our tongue. And so let's look at verse number one because James says this. He says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in word He is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. (coughs) But James tells us here in in chapter 3 and verse 1 that not all of us has the ability or should be teachers. Now, I think that we all are teachers in one way or another. We teach our kids by the way that we act, by the way that we talk towards each other. And so we all are teachers in some degree, but I think James is talking specifically here about being a public teacher in the body of Christ. And there's a couple places in scripture I would like to turn to that shows you that teaching is actually a talent that has been given to you by God. Some people are natural talent teachers, and some people have to work really hard at teaching. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, turn there with me. You can keep a bookmark or stick a finger there in James chapter 3. We'll be going back to it. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse number 29, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that the church is a body but it has several members, just like our physical body. This is one, but it has all kinds of different members. And so chapter 12 is really addressing that and it is showing to us that every member is equally important. The big toe is just as important as your heart. Your, your, your little peaky finger is just as important as, as an ear or an eye, and so Paul goes all through that in chapter 12, but then he drops down to verse number, um, I would like to start in verse 26. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. Here it is. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, and then gifts of healing, helps and ministrations, and varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? And so this is really a leadership position, is that of a teacher. We don't oftentimes think about that, do we? But when you're teaching little Johnny down there who's only two years old and you've got to wipe his nose constantly, you've got to feed him a cookie and give him some milk just to keep him halfway interested in it, just remember that one day Johnny may be up here taking my place. And so it's important that you teach him and that you make sure that you are teaching him correctly because they are going to raise up and hopefully one day be leaders in the church. Same way with teaching teenagers. What a great responsibility that we have to be able to teach the teenage kids. And so these are all very, very important. And And so James James says in chapter 3 and and verse number 1, 1, Let not not many many of you become become teachers, because because you you may may receive a stricter judgment. But the church is a living, breathing organism, and it takes teachers to make this work. And so we all, why can't we all be teachers? That should be a question. Why can't we all teach? Well, I think, again, that we all are to a certain degree, but I believe that James is talking specifically here about the body of Christ. And it is so important that as teachers that we study and and make sure that we know that we're talking about because we can lead people to the truth or we can just as easily lead people astray by our teaching. And so it's extremely important that we know what we're talking about. I thought this up and I thought this was really good so I wrote it down and here it is about teachers. You ready? We should not use this verse as an excuse not to teach but as an admonition to make sure that we are teaching correctly. Did you get that? We should not use this verse as an excuse to say, okay, I'm not going to teach. I'm not very good at it anyway. We should use this verse as an admonition to make sure that we are teaching correctly. Because again, we have a lot of people that are listening to us and if we are teaching them something that's not right, we are going to be held accountable for that, aren't we? Can you think of all the The big TV preachers, for example, that have thousands and thousands of thousands of people in their audience every Sunday, and that preacher is babbling something that is not biblically correct, and thousands and thousands of thousands of people think that that's scripture, and now all of a sudden, they're in a pickle, aren't they? And so we have to make sure that we as teachers and preachers and, and people and, and leadership authority, that we make sure that we are teaching correctly. James goes on in verse number 2, he says, For we all stumble in many ways. And we do, don't we? We all have our own faults. We all sometimes really goof up and say something stupid. And it's usually our tongue that is the source of those stumblings, isn't it? I mean, a lot of times we say things that we should, we instantly regret. Oh, I wish I could take that back. Man, I wish I would have never said that. We can't do those things, can we? Once those words escape our mouth, we cannot take them back. And so James says a person that speaks perfectly every time and does not ever say anything wrong or incorrectly, he is a perfect man or spiritually mature. And so hopefully that's true in our case. As we become a Christian longer and longer and longer, hopefully we do not say dumb things, but that we are saying things that we know is accurate according to the Word of God. Because we've been a Christian for a longer time. I told you this before, I was baptized May 24th, 1988. So, some real quick math, how many years is that? 30-some years I've been a Christian. And so, Lord willing, if he gives me another 20 or 30 or 40 years to live, I could be a Christian for several years, decades. And so, hopefully, the man that I am going to be is different than the man that I was as a young Christian. And so, James tells us that a man... That does not stumble in word is a perfect, he is spiritually mature. But as we can see, starting in verse number three, James refers to our tongue as untamable. In verse number three, he says, Indeed, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder whenever the pilot desires. So James gives us two illustrations of something that's very small, but yet it has a very big impact on its surroundings. And the first one is a bit. Now Lily back there, she has a couple horses that she's been playing with back there. And so when you have a horse, if you want to drive that horse, or if you want to ride that horse, you oftentimes have to put a bit in its mouth, don't you? And so sometimes those bits are just a, a straight piece of um, iron. Sometimes it kind of has a little bit of a hook in it. So as you pull the reins back, that goes up against the horse's mouth He says, oh, I think I better stop. And so that small bit, it can't be any more than four inches long, that small bit you put in the horse's mouth, and that gives you the ability to drive this beast wherever you want him to go, most of the time. Sometimes they have a mind of their own, and they want to do what they want to do. I remember several years ago, my friend used to have horses, and we would go there on occasion and ride horses with him. And so me and my friend was riding horses, I was on uh, one of them in the back and we was going up this hill and we was going underneath the tree and one of the branches slapped the horse on the rear end and that thing takes off running. <laughs> I'm just holding on for dear life, got a hold of its mane in one hand and pulling on the reins with the other hand and that thing, it just, it just didn't stop till it got tired I think. And so that bit is there to control the horse. But the second illustration that he gives is a rudder on a ship. The rudder is that little small thing on the back of the boat that you can turn that maneuvers the ship. And so even though you have this long battleship or whatever ship you may have, the rudder is very small in comparison to this big gigantic ship. And so James is using those two illustrations to show how important the tongue is. And so that next verse, in verse number five, he says this: "Even so, the tongue is a little member, and it boasts of great things. How great a fire, or how great a forest, a little fire can kindle." And so I think James is kind of going back to what he said in verse one. How important it is for us to be a teacher of God's Word and to teach properly and to teach accurately because we can change people by what we say. The tongue is a powerful part of our body. In verse number 6, he also gives us another illustration as we continue on here. He says, The tongue is a fire a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on by fi- uh, fire by hell. So here this time James refers to the tongue as being a fire. He says all oh men how small Can a fire beat, all of a sudden, it just blows up? Every year, we have wildfires out west, don't we? And sometimes you hear it may be a lightning strike that maybe strikes a tree, and that will cause a spark, and that will cause a wildfire just because of that lightning strike. I can remember several years ago, I think there was a train going through out there somewhere, and there was a chain that was kind of hanging down and it was hitting the rail and it was sparking the rail and that caused a gigantic forest fire just from this chain making a spark off of the rail. And so James is comparing our tongue to what this fire is. So we have to be careful what we say, don't we? Again, once those words escape our lips, we can never take them back. And so James compares it to a, a bit, he compares it to a rudder, and then he compares it to a fire. And so our tongue is just like that. Our tongue can quickly tarnish our reputation. It may be worse, our tongue can quickly tarnish the church's reputation. Oh, did you ever hear about that church down there at North Broadway? Man, they are a fighting bunch. That wouldn't be something good, would it? If you want get to some, get some good action, go there on a Sunday morning. I mean, they are just added tooth and nail. The left side's fighting against the right side. They got blue carpet. They got green carpet because they couldn't def- figure out which was which. And so they just split it right down the middle and put green on one and blue on the other. Man, they are a fighting bunch of people down there. I don't think we want that, do you? But that could be turned around the opposite way, too, can't it? Man, did you ever hear about the Church of Christ over on Broadway? If you want a good biblical teaching and preaching, you need to go there. You need to go there. You need to go. If you really want to know what the Bible says about a certain subject, you need to go there on Sunday morning. That's the place to be. They're going to preach it. They're going to teach it. They're going to be so welcoming to you. Everybody's going to shake your hand and say, Hey, we're so glad to see you here today. So our tongue can work in good ways as well as bad ways, can it? And so James is just really trying to show to us How important our tongue and our words are. But there in verse 6, he describes the tongue in several different ways. He refers to it as a fire, as a world of iniquity. Iniquity is just another word for sin, it's a world of sin, it can defile the whole body and it sets on fire the chorus of nature, and it is set on by the fire of hell itself. Well, that's a pretty strong language, isn't it? But James is trying to impress upon us that we need to be careful what we are saying. Especially as Christians, we need to be extremely careful because we are ambassadors, if you will. We are representatives of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are followers of Jesus. Oftentimes, people may judge the church and judge Jesus on our character. It's not right, but they could do that from time to time. And so James continues on there in verse number 7 to describe to us the difficulty that there is in taming the tongue. In verse 7, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. That's true, isn't it? If you ever watch National Geographic or any kind of those animal shows, they have all kinds of animals. Somebody put on Facebook uh, this past week, there was a dog and a duck or something that was just like best buds. I mean, the dog got on top of the duck's back, and then the duck would walk around. That typically doesn't happen. So we have animals that we can tame. We can can take the biggest of creature. Did you ever go to the um, the circus as a kid? We used to take our kids to the circus when they had it. They've since basically outlawed it. But uh, Barnum and Bailey Circus. And they can make those animals do anything. The guy would stick his head inside of the lion's mouth. And the lion would jump through hoops of fire and just all kinds of weird, goofy things that they, make if they can make these animals do. We can train animals to do anything, these wild animals. But in verse number 8, he says this, No man can tame the tongue. It is a ruly evil full of deadly poison. Man, we have to change that, don't we? If that describes my tongue, if that describes your tongue, we got some work to do. Because we can't live a Christian life and talk and speak like that. We need God's help in that matter, don't we? Man, there's hardly nothing that we can do on our own account, on our own accord. We need God's help. In Psalm chapter 141, let me go back there and read that for you. Back in the Old Testament, this is... Uh, I believe David's speaking here. Psalm chapter 141 in verse number three, David says this. He says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. David said, is there a way that you can kind of keep my mouth shut? Maybe that's what we need, some kind of a contraption that kind of goes around our head that keeps our mouth shut so we can't talk. That might be good for some of us, wouldn't it? And so David understood that. He said, God, God, help me. Set a watch over my mouth. Help me to improve uh, what I do and what I say. And so we need to control our tongue. Look what James says in verse 9 and verse 10. And and this is terrible, but we've all done it, I'm sure. Look what he says in verse 9. Uh, Talking about our tongue, he says, With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. James says, man, on Sunday morning and Sunday night we're praising God, woo-hoo, and then Monday we're talking about the preacher, we're talking about Bernice that wore that same dress, for three consecutive weeks. We're talking about the kid that screams out all the time. We're talking about, you just, on and on and on and goes. And then Wednesday, we put on our Christian hat again, and we're praising Jesus. We can't do that, can we? The Christian life is a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week, 365 days, until either we die or until Jesus returns. That's what the Christian life is. And so we can use our mouth to curse man at one time and then to praise Jesus with another time. He gives us two more illustrations as we start to close this morning. He says in verse 11, Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring... Yield salt water and fresh. The answer to both of those is no, isn't it? I remember several years ago Shirley's dad had a farm down in Kentucky and it had a natural spring that just came out of the the ground and he would hang a cup in the tree over there by that and if he got too hot working out there he would just go to the spring and get that cup out of the tree and just fill that cup full of water and drink it. It was so cold and refreshing. On the other hand, I can remember my grandma. Right, she had a—I uh, lost it. Artesian well—that's what it was—an artesian well that smelled like rotten eggs. <laughs> you could not drink it. You could—it's all you could—to flush the toilet and run before you got the sniff of the rotten eggs that came through there. And so that spring cannot produce both good water and nasty water. It is one or the other. Same way with the fig tree. A fig tree cannot produce olives or vice versa. It is one or the other. And that's the way we need to be with our Christian life, our Christian walk. It's got to be all in for Jesus or nothing. Man, we're just wasting our time if we just come here Sunday and Wednesday and live like the world the rest of the week. You are wasting your time and maybe mine. But I tell you what, friend, if you want to be all in for Jesus, be all in for Jesus. Seven days a week, 365 days a year until you either kick the bucket or Jesus comes back and gets his bride. And I tell you, like I told you before, it's all going to be worth it. Every single life moment that you have, it will be worth it. When you see the sky split open and you hear that trumpet blowing and you see Jesus coming down with his angels, man, it will be worth it at that second. Every single problem that you ever had in this world, when you see your Lord and Savior coming back, as Jason read this morning, it will be worth it. And so I encourage you this morning to get right with God. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not even playing the game yet. You're not even on deck. You're just kind of in the dugout, kind of watching. If you're not a Christian, the first thing you need to do is surrender your life to Jesus. Become a Christian the Bible way. Just like Peter told him to do on the day of Pentecost, to repent of your sins and to be baptized so that you can have those sins washed away and you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, preacher, I'm not quite ready for that yet. I got some work to do in my life before I can become a Christian. Really? How's that going to work out for you? Not very well. Well, you need the Holy Spirit in your life to help you with those difficulties. If you are a Christian this morning, I encourage you to remain faithful. I encourage you to watch your tongue. I encourage you to make sure that you are teaching uh, the correct things to those to, to to those people that you are teaching and working with. It is so important that we are doing the right thing.